our brand new series today uh, called on generosity called Made Rich. And kind of the big idea behind this series is that we'd, we would be made rich in what matters most. So many people in the world today think, man, if I could just have this or if I could just get that, man, that, that would fill the void in my life. And we end up looking for fulfillment in things that can never satisfy our souls. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to go on this journey of looking at what the Bible says about true riches. In fact, I want to start things off today by taking a look at our theme scripture for this entire series, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. Let's take a look at it together. Paul says, you will be made rich in every way. Notice that. We're not just talking finances in this passage of scripture. You'll be made rich in every way. You'll be rich in forgiveness. You'll be rich in compassion. You'll be rich in love. Come on, you'll be rich in every way. You'll be rich in your finances. You'll be rich, you'll be rich in every way. Well, why would God want to make us rich in every way? Well, Paul goes on to tell us, so, so that you can be generous in every way. That you would be rich in every way so that you could be generous and so that you can be generous with your forgiveness. That you can be generous with your compassion. You can be generous with your love. You can be generous with your finances. That God would make us rich in every way so we could be generous in every way. And such generosity produces thanksgiving to God through us. In other words, those who've never encountered the presence of God in their lives, those who don't have a relationship with Jesus, would look at how we live our lives and go, there's no way they should be that generous with their love towards me. There's no way they should be that generous with their compassion towards me. I don't deserve their forgiveness. I don't deserve their compassion. I don't deserve their love. There's no way they should be that generous with their finances. And they would see beyond us and they would see our Savior. There's something different. There's no way they would just do that. Why would you, you ever got that question? Why would you do that? That's a great, great segue. Well, let me tell you why. Because Jesus changed my life. Because Jesus did something in me. He was generous with his love. He was generous with his forgiveness. I can't help but be generous with what he's entrusted to me. Are you with me today? So this is our theme verse for this entire series. And uh, today, I, I, I try to come up with a catchy title for today's message. Like, at one point, I was going to call the message, like, I don't give a dime. But then I thought, <laughs> maybe, maybe that wouldn't go over too well. I didn't think my wife, Justina, would let me get away with that. I felt like I would pay more later for that. And so that's not the title of the message, but I still worked it in anyways. There's <laughs> always a loophole, people. Always a loophole. Got to find it. But the title of the message today is, I get to give. I get to give. I, I don't know if any, any of you like me had a mentor or maybe a grandma or a parent or a teacher or a coach or whoever drill this line into you. But whenever I had a mentor one time and whenever I would uh, be dumb enough to say, do, do we have to? I was like, I was teeing it up for him. He was like, oh, no, 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 Kyle. You don't have to, you get to. <laughs> and I just remember thinking in my head, that's so stupid. <laughs> but now, as a father and a parent, come on. I'm, hey, I didn't like it then, but I like it now. I have used this on my kids over and over and over again. And I know they hate it, but I don't care. 
I want them to say, when I tell them I need to go clean the room, I, I'm, I'm begging you. I'm daring you. I'm double dog daring you. Just say it. Say it. Do I have to, Dad? Oh, yes, do that. No, 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 son. You don't have to. You get to. <laughs> right? Come on, parents. You get to. But this is... This is the perspective that God wants us to have when it comes to our generosity. You don't have to, you get to. In fact, not in your notes, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, just a few verses earlier from our theme scripture, Paul tells us that, that God doesn't want us to give uh, reluctantly or under compulsion, feeling pressured into giving or feeling like we have to, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves someone who, who has this mindset and this perspective. I don't have to, I get to. And so when it comes to, to giving, I, I wanna kinda lay a foundation for us to build on in this series. And today I wanna talk to us about the subject of tithing. Like if we're gonna do a, a sermon series on generosity, let's, let's talk about what tithing is and why we as followers of Jesus do it. Now this is, this is important because I would make the argument this, this might be one of the most misunderstood subjects in the Christian faith. There is so much debate in, in the Christian faith over this subject. In fact, just the idea of tithing, just the mention of the word tithing can cause this wall to rise up in people's hearts and people's minds. Like maybe you came to church and you're like, oh, one Sunday I come to church and pastor has to talk about money. Or I finally bring my friend after 17 years of praying for him and we're talking about money. Why did I come today? Well, we're so glad that you are here. I want to encourage, don't check out on me. And I would even encourage us, maybe leave some of those preconceived ideas at the door, especially if they're negative, and let's allow the truth of God's word to teach us today because I wanna show us why tithing can be so beneficial in our lives. Now, since this is such a, a misunderstood topic and subject, I wanna start things out today by, by giving us some myths that I believe the enemy of our soul would love for us to grab a hold on and believe and stand on. And I just want to expose them and I want to resolve them today. You ready? Starting with myth number one, and that is that the church just wants my money. Anybody ever heard this myth before? Raise your hand if you've ever said it. No, I'm just joking. You don't have to do that. <laughs> the church just wants my money. Money. I had a, a friend of mine tell me one time, he said, every place wants your money. We only complain about the places that don't have our heart. I was like, I'm going to use that. And I just did. <laughs> the church just wants my money. The only reason we, we talk about money, the only reason we talk about tithing is the church just wants my money. Well, can I just, can I just give us a great update on your church? I think I said this a couple weeks ago, but just want to remind us we're debt free as a church. We've always been debt-free as a church. Now, I'm not saying we never will take on debt, but it would be a God opportunity, and, and we would, as a board, we would talk about it, and we would be very strategic and feel like God would call us to do it, but in the 11 and a half years as a church, we've never had any debt. 
Also, too, we set our budget every single year, what God entrusts to us. We set our budget at 90% of what God entrusts to us. So where so many organizations, even churches, project out, we pull back. You know, that creates margin. You know, that allows us to do, allows us to give more, allows us to be more generous, allows us to do more because we're being wise with what God has entrusted to us. Not only that, I did have someone ask me a couple weeks ago, like, so you set your own salary? I was like, whoa, no, 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 I don't. You think, oh, I thought you set your salary the whole time. So if you think that, just so you know, we have an entire board of non-staff elders who have a process they go through to set my salary and my wife's salary. I just think that's important for you to know that we're doing things decent and in order. How many know God's a God of order? And so we have it all set up to set us up for success, to set us up to be healthy. And so I just need us to understand that we don't preach on tithing because the church needs it. We preach on tithing because you need it. We're super healthy as a church. We're super healthy in our finances. And so I can stand up here and honestly say with all integrity that we're doing this series so that every single one of us, including myself, can grow in our relationship with God. We can grow in what God has entrusted to us and we can grow what God has called us to build, which is his kingdom. Can I get an amen? The second myth that I want to kind of debunk and resolve today is number two, myth number two is that the church shouldn't talk about money. I just think it's important as followers of Jesus that we should talk about what Jesus talked about. And he talked a lot about finances, but also I think we should address uh, things that you and I are dealing with on a daily basis, and all of us use money, spend money, some of us more than others, all of us need money, right? By the way, more relationships end because of money. People experience stress and anxiety and fear because of money. And so I think it's important for us to hit this subject head on. And the Bible tells us how we should steward our finances. In fact, just to kind of put things into perspective on how much finances are addressed and talked about in the Bible, two-thirds of the parables that Jesus told in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, dealt with handling money. One out of 10 verses in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, deal directly with money. And over 2,300 verses in the Bible mention how we should handle our finances. That's more than faith, prayer, and love combined. And all of us would agree that faith, love, and prayer are important. And so the Bible would say, no, no, so is our finances too. Billy Graham said it like this. He said, if a person gets their attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area in their life. Powerful, isn't it? Here, the third myth I'm gonna kind of debunk and resolve today, and this is probably the one I hear the most, and that is myth number three, that tithing is an Old Testament law that doesn't apply to us today. That we're under grace, we're not under the law anymore. That Jesus came and he fulfilled the law, which is absolutely 100% true. But what I wanna point out to us today is the very fact that tithing isn't a law. It's not one of the 10 commandments, it's not a law. But there are other things in scripture that are not laws that God instituted so that we could have the abundant life that Jesus came to give to us, and we would call them Godly principles. 
Well, it's not a law, it's a godly principle. And there are principles that we should live by that God has instituted. Now, the word tithe, just so we're all on the same page, is the Hebrew word mazer. And here's what this word means. When someone asks, what does it mean to tithe? Well, this word literally means a tenth. Now, now we see this principle in scripture from the very beginning of, of, the, of the Bible. Before the law was ever created, before the law was ever instituted and given to God's people, this, this principle of God's people bringing a tenth, bringing something to God, bringing it to the church, bringing it in such a way that would honor God, and then when they did, their lives were blessed. Let me just give us a couple examples, not in your notes. These are sidebar notes. You can write them down, look at them later. Genesis chapter 14, which was 430 years before the law, Abraham gave Melchizedek, you know that guy? Melchizedek, there I got it. I practiced that all week. Still botched it. Melchizedek, I'm going to keep trying it, who was the high priest at the time, Abraham gave a tenth of all the goods that he recovered. This is 430 years before the law was instituted. Then 50 years later in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob told God that he would give 10% of everything that God gave to him. And so here's what, here's what tithing is, if you're taking notes, and that is this. Tithing is the principle of returning to God the first 10% of your income. This is the principle. It's, it's a principle, not a law, but a principle that if we'll apply in our lives, we'll see God's blessing in supernatural ways. I want to take a look at probably one of the most famous verses on tithing. You probably heard it before, but let's take a look at it again. Malachi, or if you're Italian, Malici, chapter three, verses eight through, come on, lighten up a little bit. We're just talking about money. <laughs> verses eight through 10 says this, will a mere mortal rob God? Just so we know, just so we're all on the same page, this is not a question we want God to ask us, right? This is not how you want to start out a conversation with God. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, well, how are we robbing you, God? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Now, once again, this is a principle, not a law, that God is saying if we don't adhere to it, we're not going to see God's hand of blessing on our lives. But then here's the solution that maybe we've heard preached before, and that is verse 10, bring the whole tithe or bring the whole tenth into the storehouse. Everybody say storehouse. Now, every scholar would agree that the storehouse is your local church. And so if you're visiting from another church or if you're watching online and you go to another church, you shouldn't tie to experienced church. You should tie to your home church. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house so that we can reach people for Jesus and there can be an abundance. Then God says, test me in this. It's the only place in scripture God makes this statement. And if you've ever taken God up on this offer, then you know it's truly a test. 
God, I'm stepping out here. I don't know what's going to happen. This does, I don't know how this is going to work. This seems a little shaky. I'm not sure. But you know it's truly a test. I'm just trusting you, God, because I, I don't see how this is going to work. I, I, I made it through pre-algebra. I, I have a GED, but I, my math doesn't add up here. How is this going to lead to more blessing in my life? It's truly a test. But maybe... Like me, you've discovered that God has always found himself to be faithful in this area if you've taken the test. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that, will, that there will not be room enough to store it. And I just want to point out that God isn't just talking about money here either, because so many of the blessing we need in our lives isn't financial. It might be financial, but maybe the blessing we need is we need that relationship restored, or we need God to do a miracle, or we need God to bring some healing into our hearts, or we need God to open that door that no man can shut, or we need God's favor upon our lives. This is so much more than just money, because how many of us know you might know someone who is financially wealthy, but they're not blessed? Anybody know someone like that? They got a lot of money, but their lives aren't blessed. They're wealthy financially, but their lives aren't blessed. Now, some of us, as we dive into this topic and subject, might say, well, that's Old Testament. We're in the New Testament now. But I want to point out Jesus even affirmed or commended this principle. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, New Testament. Jesus speaking here, he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now, these are religious leaders of the day who practiced the Old Testament laws and even followed the Old Testament principles to the T. Jesus said, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. In other words, you tithe. By the way, you know, agriculture was, was obviously a huge part of their society back in the day. Please don't bring your mint or your dill to Experience Church and put that in the offering bucket, right? This is part of that day, the resources, so we understand. If you do that, our church will. I shouldn't have said nothing, now all of a sudden. And you know what, you know what will happen in experienced church? Someone will like not even know what dill is, they'll just put like a dill pickle in the bucket. I just already know it. It's the best I could come up with, Pastor. I'll eat it, I don't even care. I'll eat that pickle. If you bring a dill pickle, next week we'll have 150 dill pickles in the offering. Love it. Love you guys. But you have, he, he says, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Jesus said, you've done these good things, but you've neglected the more important things. What are the more important things? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. Jesus said, you should have practiced the latter. That we should be a people that practice justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But then Jesus said this, we should practice the latter without neglecting the former. J Jesus said, don't stop tithing, but also don't just think that you can give some money and never have to line up your behavior with your beliefs. No, Jesus said you need to do both. We need mercy and justice and faithfulness, but we're also trusting God with what he's entrusted to us. But regardless of where you fall on this subject of tithing, every scholar would agree that the New Testament emphasizes sacrificial and generous giving. Everybody agrees on that. In fact, Paul said this, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. 
In other words, it's a percentage of our income. In other words, we're not all, we're not all giving the same amounts, but we're all making equal sacrifice. Can I say that again for the people in the way back? We're not all giving the same amounts, but we're all making equal sacrifices. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. I love how Paul points it out. He says, so no collections will have to be made when I come. Paul is saying when it comes to the church, if every single one of us would practice this principle, we wouldn't need to take up special offerings. We, if, if disaster, if a tornado or earthquake hit our, our nation, we wouldn't have to take up a special offering because there would be an abundance in God's house and we could immediately be generous and meet the needs of the people around us. This is, this is how God said it. If we would all, if we would all adhere and, and keep this principle, there would be an abundance in God's house. We wouldn't need special offerings. Are you with me? That's a super good principle that Paul is telling us it because there's generosity in the house. This is what Paul is talking about. This is the goal. And so when it comes to tithing, I want us to understand why it's so beneficial to our lives. But at the same time, I'm reminded of another phrase that my dad used to say to me when I was a, a kid. Whenever he told me to do something, if I responded uh, not with the question, do I have to, but if I responded with the question, why, he would always look at me and say, because I said so. I hated that answer, right? Any answer outside is, no, you don't have to, don't worry about it, I'll do it, was just frustrating to me. But now I've used this once again as a dad, do it. Ask me if you have to or ask me why, son. I double dog dare you. I didn't love it at the time, but as I've used it so many times on my kids, not out of spite, but but I've, I've understood what my dad was talking about. I understood the point that he was trying to make to me, but he was basically saying, uh, because I said so, because that should be good enough for you. Because you don't have, son, you don't have to understand everything. You don't even have to agree with everything, but you do need to honor the one who is telling you to do it. And the same is true in our relationship with God. It doesn't matter if we fully understand. It doesn't even matter if there's a part of us that doesn't like it or, or agree. We're honoring the one who is telling us to do it. But at the same time, in God's grace and his mercy and his love, throughout God's word, throughout the Bible, it tells us why we should apply this principle of tithing to our lives. And let me just say this, that, that I've tithed ever since I became a Christian. When I became a Christian around 20 years old, this principle was instilled in me. And so I remember, I, I, I remember getting $20 and tithing $2. It was a lot easier to tithe $2 back then, right? But I, I remember this, just this principle of any increase that everybody got, when I got paid, I'm tithing the 10%. And I've been a Christian for the past 25 years. I've been tithing for 25 years. And let me just say, it's changed my life. I've been tithing it for 25 years, and then uh, Justina, my wife, she was tithing before we met, and then when we got together, we've been tithing ever since. Uh, we've been married. I don't know how many years we've been married, uh, but it's been amazing. It's gone by so quick. That's the problem. I can't remember. It's just amazing. Um, it, it, I just love her so much. She's the best, and, and she's amazing and beautiful and talented and awesome. It doesn't matter how long we've been married. You know what I'm saying? It's just a number. But we've been tithing. <laughs> Ever since we've been married, and I want to say this, we've been through some difficult things, but we've always been blessed. How many of us know that you can, you can be blessed even during difficult times? 
that we can see the favor of God in our lives even during the difficult moments. And so for the rest of our time together, let me give us three reasons why we tithe. You ready? Let's go. Number one, write this down. The first reason we tithe is number one, because tithing puts God first in my life. The Bible is really clear on this. In fact, let's take a look. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23, tells us the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. And so every time there's an increase, every time we get paid, when we tithe and we put God first, it shows that we're saying, God, you're the most important thing in my life. And so the question is, what's the first thing that comes out of our bank accounts when we get paid? Think about it. Like, what's the first thing that we pay? If it's our, if it's our mortgage, it shows that our priority might be security because it's the house. If the first thing that comes out of our accounts is our investments, maybe our priority is our future and trying to secure our futures. If it's our credit, if the first thing that comes out of is our credit, if it's Visa or American Express, it might show that, that our debt or financial obligations, those things are our priority. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things are important. We have to take care of those things. Those aren't bad things. We have to do them. But I would make the argument that those things shouldn't be first in our lives. They shouldn't be the highest priority in our lives. And what tithing is saying is that, God, you're first above everything else. And I was just kind of thinking of an of analogy my, this past um, summer. My, my son, my old son, Jace, started mowing lawns or lawn. I should say, which means I also started mowing lawns or this lawn because he was 13 last summer and couldn't drive. So who had to drive him? This guy. He didn't know how to weed eat. So who had to teach him how to weed eat? And then he's like, dad, can you just do it for me? <laughs> who, who didn't know how to start a lawnmower? Basically, Jason just sat in the car and watched me mow this person's lawn. <laughs> Great idea, dad. This next year, I got him signed up with a lawn mowing company. I'm sending him off somewhere else. You go, you go try to pull that with them over there. But last year, uh, he made some money, and I just was thinking uh, in this lawn mowing business that that I started in my family. Um, if Jace would get paid a hundred dollars for mowing lawns, how much is the tithe? Come on, shout out me. Ten dollars. Now let me ask us this question. Does the tithe get paid first or does the tithe get paid last? It's the first thing we do with that increase is tithe. Now, the problem that, that we can fall in the trap of, and I think all of us maybe have fallen into this trap at one time or another, is the first thing we pay, is, the first thing we do isn't tithe. The first thing we maybe pay is, is the mortgage. I understand mortgage is way more than $20. You with me? I get it. Some of you are like, man, that's not my mortgage. This might be Jace's mortgage, 20 bucks, right? We pay, make that car payment. Then we got to pay for that, that cell phone bill, right? Then there's that credit card bill, right? And then, and then I got to go out to eat. You with me? Because love me some hot rice. Let's go. And then, oh, then there are those shoes that I wanted, and then all of a sudden, what ends up happening, if, if we don't tithe first, all of a sudden, we're left with five bucks. And then we come to church on that Sunday, and we fall into this category. Either we give God a tip instead of a tithe, or we spend it before we even came, and we actually 
either gave God our leftovers or we, there was nothing left over at all. This is the, this is the, and, and here's what I want to point out. It wasn't malicious. It wasn't like we had this ill will or, or bad intentions. It wasn't like when we got paid, we're like, hoo hoo, I'm going to keep everything for myself. Nothing for you, God. We didn't say it like that, but we weren't, we weren't intentional about putting God first. Therefore he came last, if at all. Anybody else besides me falling into that trap? Just trying to be real with us. And so instead of, instead of, no, we give God first because, come on, he's more important than anything else in our lives. God, you're first. You're first. You're first. You're more important than anything. If you take a notes, write this down. I think it's important for us to understand that it takes faith to put God first in your finances. It takes faith. It, it just flat out. Tithing says, God, I'm going to honor you with the first. And I'm going to trust that the 90% that's blessed by you is going to go further than the 100% that's not. Now, I've seen this principle proven over and over and over and over and over and over again in my life. And so when we put God first, every time we get paid, the first, it's the first thing that we do. Now, for me personally, I've, I've set up reoccurring giving so that I don't even have to think about it. In fact, I pay a lot of my bills that way, there was a time when I tithed and I have to remember to take my checkbook because the only thing I used my checks for was tithing. I don't know how many times I forgot my checkbook and either had to come back the next week or I forgot about it and I had to double tithe. That's the worst. I'm just saying, like, I got paid and I have to, but I forgot last time I got paid, so now I got to double down on it. And so I just set up reoccurring. I don't have to worry about it. God, you're first. I'm showing you, man, you were first in my life. But I do want to point out, I think it's really important that when we give God the first 10%, we have to steward the other 90% well. We have to budget the other 90% well. We have to use wisdom on how we spend the other 90% well. Are you with me? So that might mean that we can't go through the coffee drive through line every single morning. That we might have to make coffee at our house, and it just doesn't taste nearly as good, but it's not $7 a cup either, right? Might have to only get a teddy bear, one, <laughs> or grande latte once a week or twice a week, or maybe we can't eat out seven days a week, right? Because I'm using wisdom on what God has entrusted to. Maybe we don't need six different ser uh, streaming services, like Netflix, Hulu, Paramount Plus, Prime Video, come on, Apple TV, and Peacock. Which, by the way, who in the world watches Peacock? <laughs> some of those things just might need to go because we've made this decision to put God first in our hearts, in our lives, in our finances, and watch how he blesses our lives when we do. Tithing puts God first in our lives, and what we put first is our priority. Can I get an amen? amen? The second reason why we tithe, number two, I love this, because tithing keeps me involved in the vision of the church. This is a big deal. I don't know if you've noticed, but what God is doing here at this church is incredible. What we're seeing God do is exciting. That's a huge reason why we give. Right, the lives that we're seeing change, the baptisms, the impact that we're having on our community, the difference that we're making in the country of Belize, our correctional ministry. Whoa! Just what God is doing in this place and through this place is incredible. 
And God, God is moving, and of course I'm going to give to that because I'm believing that God's going to do even more than what he's done in 11 years. Come on, there's more that he wants to do. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3 says this, Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God. I love this. In other words, man, I have a passion for what God is doing in this place. I believe in the vision of this house. I believe in the mission of this house. This is why Connect Track is so important, where I lay out the vision and the mission of Experience Church. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. How do we live out the Great Commission? How do we partner with God on this co-mission and make disciples of this nation? How I many we got a strategy for that? We got a plan for that. There's a mission that we have for doing, there's a vision that we have for doing that. That's why going through it matters because I love the vision of this house. I love the vision of this place. And, and by the way, it's, I'm participating. When I love that vision, I'm participating with what God is doing in this place. How can I serve? How can I help? Which, by the way, that's the whole reason why we call it Experience Church because one of the definitions of the word experience means to actively participate. So we call it experience church so that all of us would actively participate with what God is doing in this place. He goes on to say, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. He says, not only do I give my tithe, but I give over and above, which is called an offering. Right. A tithe is returning the 10 percent to the storehouse An offering is anything we give above that, either to the church or other places. He says, I, I give above and beyond that moment special treasure of gold and silver. I have such a heart for the house of God. And, and what happens when people stop giving to the church is because their heart is disconnected from what God is doing in that place. You know, during COVID, I, I had a buddy of mine. Uh, I, I talked to some, some different buddies on a text that almost uh, multiple times throughout the week. And during COVID, I had a friend who was adamant. He was trying to get all of us to invest in cruise lines during uh, COVID because obviously the cruise lines were shut down, nobody was traveling, and so the stocks of cruise liners was way, way down. He's like, guys, I'm telling you, nobody's gonna repossess that big old white toilet that floats on an ocean. Like nobody, nobody's gonna go repossess a billion dollar boat. Like it's gonna come back, people are gonna go back on cruises, the stock is way down, buy now. And he was just trying to get us to invest in, in cruise lines and none of us did except for him. And I remember after he did a little while, once, once the economy started coming back and people started going on cruises, he would text us almost weekly. Hey, just want to give you an update on where my stock's at in the cruise line. I mean, he, I mean, he just rubbing it in every single week, just kind of giving it to us like, y'all should have done this. I mean, just, but every day, come on, how many, every day he's checking the stock. Every day he's looking, what's going on? Why? Because he's invested in that organization. He's invested in that. How many, he cares how many people are going on cruises now. And I remember like he would just you know, rub it in. And then finally some time went by and, and he wasn't like giving us a hard time anymore. And I remember just texting him like, like, hey, how's your cruise line stock going? How's that? You know, you haven't given us an update. He goes, oh, I, I don't know. I, I cashed out. I quadrupled my money. And uh, I have no idea how that cruise line stock is doing. And he goes, I don't even care because my money's not there anymore. He said, you know, I, I might go on a cruise. I, I might uh, enjoy uh, some of their services, but I'm not invested in their company anymore. 
Let me just make the point, that's how too many people treat the church. We'll enjoy the services, but we're not invested in the growth. We're not invested in the life of this thing. I just wanna say, but something happens when our money gets in that place. We start saying things like, this is my church. This is my house. Look what God is doing at my church. What can I do? How can I help? The Bible says it like this, Matthew chapter six, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we wanna direct our hearts into the right places, we do it by investing our finances. And so if we don't have a lot of passion for God's church, we start giving it to it and watch how our hearts begin to grow towards it because our treasure and our hearts are connected. And I would just make the argument that there's no greater investment. It's the one pl uh, place that you get an EROI. We know an ROI is a return on investment, but an EROI is an eternal return on investment. There's no greater place to invest in the local church. I just believe that the mobilized church is the hope, hope of the world. And if you're taking notes, write this down, and that is simply this. When I tithe, I move from being a spectator to a participant in what God is doing through his church. Let me say it like this way. We're not giving to a church, we're giving through a church. You know how many organizations we sponsor? You know how many, how many missionaries we come alongside? You know how many things we give to? to grow? We plant churches every year. We come alongside struggling churches. We reach out to prison ministries. We're reaching out to the country of Belize. Right, right now, this message is getting broadcast over the loudspeakers into the Belize Central Prison. And if you sow into this church, you play a part in that. You play a part in us sowing into these men and women who are incarcerated in Belize. We give to Conway of Hope every single year. So if there is a natural disaster or a tragedy, we've already given, and so they can be boots on the ground. Come on, we're not giving to a church, we're giving through the church. And every time I hear of someone's life being changed or impacted, every time we hear of the impact that we're making beyond these walls and organizations we support, we realize I'm a part of that. And so the question is, how, how do we start um, let me give us two things as I, I try to close up today. Two, two things we can do to, to start this process. I would just say this, make the commitment to start as soon as possible. I know whenever I put things off, I kind of, I tend to, to let it go. No, I, I, as soon as possible, I'm going to make the commitment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start honoring God today. I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to put it off. I'm going to put God first today and watch how he blesses our lives when we do. Then the second thing I would say would be to pick a percentage and then make it automatic. A I think a big mistake is a lot of people uh, give out of impulse and out of feelings. And I love how the scripture says, I didn't put it in your nose, but the generous plan to be generous. In other words, there's times maybe my emotions are stirred, or sometimes I hear a story or of a need and I give out of emotion, but that's not the majority of my giving. That's like a 5% of my giving is that, if, if that, right? The, the other 95%, no, I'm strategic. I've prayed about it. i planned it. It's not emotional or impulsive. No, I, I plan to put God first. And then I set up automatic giving just because I pay all my bills that way. In fact, I went to my budget this, this a couple days ago, and I was like, whew, everything is automatically withdrawn. I don't have to worry about anything. I just watch it and cry as it comes out of my account. That's all I got to do for these next couple of weeks. But, but I do that because it's important to me, right? How many know the same is true with God? 
that we would make it automatic, we set up reoccurring. And I want to challenge us, some of us today, that we would pick a percentage. We might be in a tight place financially. We might say, man, how can I even get there? I, I can't, I have some other things that have been more of a priority. I have some other commitments. I have Peacock and Apple TV and Prime Video and Netflix and Hulu. And uh, my subscription doesn't run out for another few months, right? What do I do if I'm in a tight place financially? Well, then start with 2%. Or start with 4% or start with 8% that we would find a percentage and say, you know, I'm going to work my way into eventually being fully obedient and honoring God with the tithe and the full 10%. Because to be honest, the tithe is actually, really, if we look at scripture, the tithe is returning to God what's already his. Imagine this. Uh, imagine if I had you over to my house for dinner and, uh, and I cooked for you and it was amazing and during the, the dinner, I handed you $10,000. I mean, that's a good dinner right there. Who cares how it tasted? I'm, I, it was a good time over a pastor's house. But I handed you $10,000, and I said, hey, you give me $1,000, and I'll let you keep the other $9,000. Would you say that you lost $9,000? Would you say, or would you say that you gained $9,000? Because everything we have already belongs to God. And it's not me giving him some of it. It's him letting me keep most of it. Does that make sense? All right. Our, our third thing today, uh, third reason why we tithe is we close up. And that is tithing gives me access to supernatural blessings. Come on, tithing opens up doors in our lives to something that we wouldn't have access to otherwise. To be honest with you, there are two kinds of people. There are those who say, I can't afford to tithe, and they always seem stressed. They always seem strapped. They always seem frustrated. But then the other kind of people are those who say, man, I can't afford not to tithe, because when I do, it opens up doors and gives me access to supernatural blessings in my life. I mean, ask a tither. Ask someone who consistently honors God with the tithe, and ask if their lives are blessed. I promise you, every single one of them will say, absolutely. And you might say, well, 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 it doesn't look like it. Well, it doesn't look like you're blessed financially. And I would just say, yeah, but God's blessings aren't limited to finances. I have a supernatural peace in the midst of difficulty. I have a supernatural strength to walk through any obstacle that's in front of me. God supernaturally opened a door and gave me an opportunity that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Remember that testimony we read earlier? I've been at my job for 20 years. I feel like it's a toxic environment, but I've been praying hard. I've been asking. I've been believing. And God opened a door that otherwise I wouldn't have had an opportunity for. I remember the first time me and Justina got to go to, uh, to Israel. I'll never forget one morning uh, before work, like 7 in the morning, Justina comes out of our bedroom. I'm in the kitchen, and she said, Babe, I think we're supposed to go to Israel. Now, we had talked a few times before about this would be a dream of ours. You know, we would love to go to Israel someday. I was meaning someday later on in the future, right? And she comes out and goes, I feel like, I feel like God's calling us to go to Israel. And I, I just responded as a pastor. I'm like, babe, there's no way. Total faith. And I was like, there's no way. I mean, we're, we're pastoring a church right now. We have a lot going on. We got young kids. And then financially, like being able, it's not cheap to go to Israel. Like there's just no way. And I made the statement to Justina, God would have to make it like evidently clear that he wants us to go to Israel. I mean, that's a dangerous, that's a dangerous line you're playing with, pastor. An hour later, I kid you not, 
had a pastor friend of mine from Alabama call me and say, hey, I know it's last minute. I know it's short notice, but would you and Justina want to go with us to Israel? An hour later, I said, no, I don't think it's the Lord. <laughs> the old, I sent you a boat and you didn't get it. I sent a helicopter. I'm like, I'm waiting for the Lord. No. I said, that's crazy. You, I, I, I can't even believe that you're calling me right now. He said, we actually are leading a smaller trip of just couples, and we had one couple, and they had an emergency come up, and they have to bail out of the trip, but they've already paid their money, and they can't get a refund, and they told us, just bless a couple to go with you. Come on. So all we had, all we had to pay was our, our flights. And we got to go to Israel almost for free. And I just think back and say, you know what? I could have made this, this opportunity happen. I could have opened this door. But I look back at my life these past 25 years of tithing. And I just see God's supernatural blessing. Because what I want to point out in that story, it wasn't just about going to Israel. It's about what God did in us when we were there. It's what we encountered as I walked the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering, the very steps that Jesus took as he carried the cross for our sins. As I went in the empty tomb and we prayed together, what I encountered in that place, it was supernatural. And I tie it back to seeing God's faithfulness in my life. And I look back over the past 25 years, and I remember when Jace was first born, and all we had was this 1996 Buick Regal with a chrome luggage rack vehicle. We thought, man, we need a bigger vehicle. And all of a sudden, one night, there was a on our door, and some friends from our church go, hey, we know you need another vehicle. You just had a baby. Here's the keys to our van. And just gave us a vehicle. And I'm going... Thank you for your faithfulness and obedience, God, but thank you for your supernatural blessings in our lives. I'm just telling you, it opens us up. I got to close. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10 says, give generously to them and do so without a, a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. This is what God does in our lives. I'll close with this thought that when we put God first, the rest is blessed. I mean, tithing isn't even an obedience indicator. You know what tithing really is? It's a surrender indicator. Does God truly have every part of us? Maybe we've given God our sin, we've given God our problems, we've given God our pain, but have we given every single part to Him? Have we surrendered everything? So I just wanna close with that question. Does God have all of me? I surrender all. Everything I have is yours. Because if there's a wall up when it comes to giving, man, if there's an area in our lives that we don't trust God, man, today, let today be the day I let that go. God, I surrender all. I give you everything and watch God do what only he can do in your life. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. I just thank you for your presence in this place, God. This can be a difficult subject to talk about. Maybe it's been misrepresented or even abused in the past and the enemy of our soul would love nothing more than to keep us from experiencing all that you have for us so God I just I pray that you would speak to us in fact our prayer right now come on right where you're at just pray this in your heart say Holy Spirit how do you want me to respond to the message today God what are you speaking I don't want to just be a hearer of your word God I want to be a doer 
What's my next step? What are you calling me to? Father, I pray for every single one of us in this place that we would take a step of faith, not for man, God, for you. God, let everything we do be unto you for your name, for your glory, for your honor. As we're praying to, together today with every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe as we talked about surrender, does God have every part of us? Maybe you're in this place or watching online and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Or maybe you walked with God at one point in time, but you, you've drifted. God is saying, nice time to, to rededicate your life. Come on, it's time to put me first in your heart, in your life. If you need to make that decision, I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, if you need to put God first in your life and in your heart, come on, lift your hand to heaven. If you're watching online, come on, right where you are, lift your hand to heaven. Say, here I am, God. Here's my heart. Here's my life. And right where you are, would you just pray this prayer with me? Say, God, thank you for your love that never fails. Thank you for sending your son to pay the price for my sin on the cross. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for victory. Thank you for life. God, here's my heart. Forgive me my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live. My life is yours. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give God some praise for all I did today. Beautiful.